Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Final hour on this Friday edition of OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Crew is all here. We're about to be joined by Austin Price of AllQuest.com. We'll get the very latest on... Brew McCoy, wide receiver, transfer from USC, from Southern Cal, ruled immediately eligible by the NCAA. And it was a uh, report that was first at VolQuest. Um, we will uh, chat with Austin momentarily. Also, um, just the news in the NFL, Mason Rudolph drawing trade interest, and Trubisky's going to start on Sunday in the final preseason game. That seems to signal that they're getting ready for week one with Trubisky as the starter, although they have not officially announced Trubisky as the number one quarterback. Uh, we'll get into the Titans a little bit later as well as they wrap up the preseason tomorrow. But right now we say hello to Austin Price of AllQuest.com. Had the story about Brew McCoy being eligible. Uh, it's up now uh, where you can read that and get more details, and we'll have him tell you about it immediately. Uh, Austin, appreciate the time, man. And McCoy's a starter and now he can play on Thursday night against Ball State. All right, we, we lost him. We lost him there. Uh, this, this is a, a big deal, this though, Chad, a, because now he's, he's playing Thursday, and this solidifies the starting group for offense in Hendon Hooker. It's a developing story, so Austin may have had to jump off to take a call there, a very important call in this story. It, it's, it's huge for Tennessee because – I do think that while the the front line offensively looks really good for Tennessee with what they have coming back, with the starting quarterback, the starting and backup running back coming back, the the best receiver on the on the roster coming back, offensive line relatively intact in a number of places from a year ago. They don't have great depth at receiver, at least proven depth right now. Right. Guys, so you, without Brew yeah. McCoy, there was a legitimate question as to well, who do you throw in there? To play there, do you slide Jalen Hyatt out from slot and put him out wide and then just trying to get your best three on there So, because you like your, your depth better at slot? That was a big question mark. So now getting Brew McCoy, you don't have to, you don't have to answer that question in week one. Austin uh, rejoins us now. Uh, Austin, appreciate the time, man. Give us your thoughts on Brew McCoy being ruled immediately eligible today by the NCAA. Well, I give a lot of credit to the administration. Danny White, Dondi Plowman, everybody involved. Um you know, they, they really went to bat for Brew and fought hard. And, and, and credit the NCAA for not dragging their feet, at least getting Tennessee an answer one way or the other. And I, I said that the other day. If you're Tennessee, the biggest thing you want is an answer, yes or no. If it's no, they were going to, you know, double back to USC and with the NPO. And, you know, and at that point, you're having to, you know, play a little bit of hardball. They don't have to do that because they got the yes they were uh, clamoring for. And, um, you know, Chad's right. They don't have a lot of proven depth at wide receiver, including Brew. I mean, Brew's got 20-plus catches in his, his college career. Outside of that, he you know, he had a red shirt and then was ineligible and, you know, is now back eligible. But uh, shows a ton of promise, has really had a great fall camp, and uh, 
you know, was very, very motivated to, uh, to, to show out opposite Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, I expect to be in the slot, but Tennessee, they like what they got in several of the players uh, at that wide receiver position. But again, it's unproven. And really, you know, Jalen Hyatt's really unproven. To me, the only proven receiver Tennessee has at this current moment is Cedric Tillman. These other guys have to be motivated to go out there and get it done. And as we move into game week now, Austin, and, and you look at this roster, do you expect a lot of guys playing in this game against Ball State? I, I know that was definitely a point of contention for Brent a season ago, not getting guys in early enough. Is the plan to, to play a ton of guys in this game where Tennessee can start to figure out who they have from a depth perspective? Yeah, you better be. You better be really, you know, playing as many guys as you can, um, you know, in this football game. That's naturally going to dwindle down on the road against a quality Pittsburgh opponent. Um, and then you go back into another game against Akron where you have a chance to play more bodies. But, you know, these first handful of games, it's going to be a paramount to play as many guys as you can. Um, see what you know, what you got. See what you can count on. Who you can count on, and uh, you know I, whether it's defensive back, linebacker, defensive line, um, you know, wide receiver. To me, you want to play as many players as you can uh, coming up a, a week from yesterday on that Thursday night tilt against Ball State. How much is that a trust test? That sounds like uh, kind of what we're getting at here to know. Um, you know, that you could take a certain guy and play him against Pitt and, uh, and have faith that he's going to do the right things, maybe not panic, not, not fold, um, and, and you could take him forward into a game against a bigger opponent in what's likely to be a, a tight game or, or, you know, potentially a game you might lose as opposed to playing him in a, in a game where you're expecting to win by a, a comfortable margin. Yeah, a year ago, Tennessee played a bigger, um, a bigger rotation, especially at receiver, against Pitt. Then after the Florida game, that's when they kind of pared it down and moved Bayless into the slot. And it was kind of a three, maybe four man rotation from there on out. All you know, I think it's you know it's in paramount Thursday to kind of figure out who 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 can you count on. You know, who who who's had that big fall camp that now, you know, uses this opener against Ball State as a springboard um, to get their their season jump started. I think when you look in the secondary, there's a lot of different players they're going to play at both safety and at corner. Again, you know who the state starting safeties are going to be, but you know if you get a big lead, I think it's important that you get McCullough and you get Flowers out and you see what some of these young guys can do. You know, same thing at, at linebacker. I mean, you know, I think you want to get Juju Mitchell as much run as you can because you know he didn't play last year. Um, but I think you want to see what Elijah Herring can bring to the table. Rodney Garner was trying to figure out what he can count on with the defensive line. Guys like, you know, uh, Joshua Josephs and, and, and James Pierce. You want to see what they can do. What can they handle? And, and, and I don't mean just get out there and just, you know, go chase the quarterback. But schematically, when they see something, can they handle that without busting? Because if they can't handle it without busting against Ball State, which isn't going to hurt you, then the coaches aren't going to trust them against Pitt, and they're sure not going to trust them when they get the league play. So, you know, it's all about, you know, what you can handle mentally, in my opinion, come Thursday night against Ball State, and that's where Tennessee will rely on their veterans early, but late I think they've got to rely on some of these young kids and see what they got. Austin Price with us, VolQuest.com. You mentioned the word trust. I, I trust Hendon Hooker. I trust Cedric Tillman on offense. 
Uh, speaking with Tillman at SEC Media Days on the show, Austin, and I asked him, I said, do you consider yourself uh, among the most uh, dangerous deep threats in the country? And he's like, absolutely. And here's why. And he laid it out. Can he become, the, can he be on the same trajectory that Traylon Burks was at Arkansas, where the quarterback has a go-to player in a massive moment that no matter what he sees, he's throwing it up to the guy and Tillman comes down with it and becomes a part of the talk and discussion of the conference? Yeah, I mean, I think they can. I mean, I, I think Tillman can be that guy. In a lot of ways, he was at the tail end of last year. I mean, you go back to those last six or seven games and, and what he did against Georgia, what he did against Alabama, what he did in the bowl game, uh, big catches against Kentucky. I mean, it, it, he, he was routinely that a year ago. Now, a year ago, you had Bayless Jones in the slot, and, and he, he did so much for this team and really kind of – balanced the offense out a ton, especially the the passing game uh, when he kind of established himself as that uh, go-to guy in the slot. You know, Cedric Tillman needs help. He needs, you know, players that are established by game two, by game four, um, that, you know, you, you know, they can draw attention to, or they can take advantage of all the attention that, that Tillman is getting. So uh, I think what you're hitting on is, is correct. And I think he can be that guy, but, there's going to be a lot of attention thrown his way this year. That's where a chance for a guy like Brew McCoy or Jalen Hyatt, they have a real opportunity because I think they're going to get more opportunities uh, to, to catch balls because I think they're going to see more single coverage and, you know, can they beat their man? Uh, and then same thing with this, these running backs and, and the tight ends. Tennessee wants to run work, work those tight ends. They want to work Jacob Warren. They want to work Princeton Fant um, and some new wrinkles. So, you know, Cedric Tillman's going to be the guy, but – if he can get other players to stand out opposite of him, that's where this offense really the, the keys and the get unlocked and you know you can see a, a huge growth. So when Tennessee takes the field on offense for the first time, there will obviously be a left tackle that takes the field with the offense first against Ball State. But Austin, will there be a starting offensive ta- a left tackle for Tennessee in this game, or does the tryout continue? between the two options at left tackle throughout this game? I think the tryout continues, Shad. I think, you know, when you you know, when you kind of look at where the coaches have been as far as their verbiage with this, it's it's it, it sure seems like that, that this is gonna be uh two two guys, JJ Crawford and then of course Gerald Mincy, and this battle's gonna go into the season. I think they would love to kind of figure out what each guy can handle mentally come Thursday night because I don't think you can really kind of go into that game at Pitt, you know, unsure about, you know, who kind of the guy is. I'm not sure you go in there with a rotation at Pitt. Now, maybe they do, um, but I think the more and more people I talk to, the more people will talk about Gerald Mincy has the most upside. Um, you know, Crawford's had a really good fall camp, but as far as just pure upside, uh, Gerald Mincy has, has, has really shown huge flashes in fall camp and a big reason why. There's several people on campus that, that like him to long-term be the guy at left tackle. Austin, defensively, do you think they feel about the same as they did a year ago going into the no. season, or is it much improved? Is it much more confident? Or does the speed in the secondary still concern everyone? Well, I think until they get out there and play, it's got to concern you, right? Um, but I think on the whole, as far as the total defense, I think they're a much deeper team, a much more experienced team, and a more talented athletic team on that side of the ball. Um, there is no Matthew Butler. They'll miss him. Uh, they'll miss him greatly, in my opinion. 
but I think they can kind of cobble it together and, and, and be fine. I think with the pass rushers, they're going to be far better than they were a year ago. Linebacker, I think they're going to be a deeper unit than they were a year ago. And then, you know, what do they do in the secondary? Um, that's the big question. You know, McCullough's lost a bunch of that weight. Everybody's talking about him being faster. <coughs> Again, we've got to get to the field and right, see it right. with our own eyes. I mean, you know, it's kind of like J- – I thought Jalen Hyatt had the most enlightening comments of anyone in fall camp when he said, man, all this praise I'm getting is great, and I really appreciate it. But at the end of the day, I've got to do, go prove this on the football field in a real game. We've not gotten to real games yet. And I thought that was a, a really great mindset um, that, you know, he, he hears the, the, the attaboys, but he's not satisfied with that. He knows the real attaboys come if he balls out on Saturday afternoons. And, and I think that goes that way for a lot of players in that secondary as well. We also see the debut under the lights of the new stadium renovations. The lights literally uh, will be on full display at Neyland plus the renovations in the end zones. Um, what has what, what stood out to you from just laying eyes on it and expectations of what the talk will be like next Thursday? Well, I think it'll be – I think a lot of the fans will enjoy the fact there's now a second Jumbotron. Um, you know, the, the people in the south end don't have to break their neck trying to turn <laughs> yeah. around to see what, what, what happened. They can just look straight ahead now. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the nicest things about, you know, going to a game at, you know, at Bryant-Denny is they have them in the corners, and so there's four. Um, so now, you know, Tennessee's got multiple, which I think is huge. I think the Lower West Club over time will be a fan favorite. I think the the party deck will be a favorite. Let's face it. The party deck is to football what the porches were to baseball, and the porches have been uber successful. People like to hang out, have you a drink, stand there with a, with a table beside of you and, and watch the game below, and, and I expect that to be a, another fan favorite, uh, you know, over the course of time. And a, a new NIL section in the pro shop on game yep. night? Yeah, no doubt. And, and can you go in there and buy jerseys? All those proceeds go to, to, the, to the current student athletes. Uh, again, you know, whether it be things that they're doing on campus, um, you know, or, or things that, you know, Spire is doing to the volunteer club, um, you know, you're, you want the current student athletes to be that vessel of NIL that reaches out into the prospective student athletes. And you can bet your bottom dollar that, you know, every recruit that comes on a campus, whether it's here or Georgia or wherever, it doesn't matter um, at whatever level, they're asking about NIL. They're asking the current players, hey, what do you guys have? I mean, that was one of the big things a year ago. You know, if you went into the fall, like, you know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, it being in recruiting, where it's really in recruiting is, when the you know the recruits come on campus and they look at Hendon Hooker and they look at Cedric Tillman and they look at Jeremy Banks and they say, well, "What do you guys have NIL wise? You know, what, what what are your thoughts? You know, how, how how do they handle NIL here at Tennessee? And if they're you know singing the praises of Spire and they're singing the praises of the administration, that's a real win for for the coaches, whether it be Rick Barnes or Tony Vitello or, or Josh Heupel, because it allows them to uh, have a, a bigger feather in the cap when it comes to to that portion of prospective student athletes. Based on what you've seen from this Tennessee team this preseason, and knowing expectations for Kentucky, we're still the jury's still out on Florida, but they're in the mix of this conversation. Where would you put Tennessee in the hierarchy of the SEC East preseason wise, based on where you think they'll finish four months from now? I, I mean, I think they're right there below Georgia. Um, I mean, Kentucky's going to have an easier schedule. They don't have Alabama. 
you know. Um, and, you know, this year I think they do play A&M, right? And so A&M and LSU kind of cancel each other out. Um, but, they, you know, their they're constant opponent's Mississippi State, and that's not Alabama. So it, for that very reason, you know, you have to say that going into the season they kind of have a leg up um, just based off pure strength of schedule. Um, but I think, you know, it all boils down to when Tennessee plays Kentucky and over the years – Tennessee's had their way with the Wildcats. They've had a few hiccups here and there, but it's been few and far between. So if you go and win that game, you take care of business. I still think all this comes down to September. If Tennessee wins that pit and they beat Florida at home and they go into the bye week 4-0, I think at that point the absolute worst they can do is 8-4. I think that becomes the total floor. And I think 9-3 and becomes very, 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 very realistic. And anything better than that is just gravy. This place, again, has not been better than 8-4. and four. Uh, since Philip Fulmer was fired in 2008, the last time they were better uh, than eight and four in a regular season was when they went 10 and two, went to the SEC championship game in 2007. They went eight and four twice. Uh, that both times were Butch Jones teams. The one year they they blew a bunch of leads, and, and even then they they kind of overexceeded the expectations. And then in 2016, they coughed up that uh, fabulous start. So it, it's easy to say, hey, they can get to eight wins. Can they get to nine wins? Sure, but again, it's not been done in 15 years. So until they do it, it's kind of hard to mentally totally get over the hump there. For just comparing the Vols and Wildcats, I mean, I I like both coaches. I really like Kentucky's defense. I really like Tennessee's offense. And I like the the deciding factor for me, the tiebreaker in many cases, is at quarterback. Will Levis turns the football over. Hendon Hooker doesn't. And if both guys have an off night, I still like the fact that Hendon Hooker is not going to throw a deciding pick that's going to flip field position in a game that's back and forth. Yeah, I'm with you. I, you know, there's a lot of interesting dynamics for me with with Kentucky and Tennessee. Um, you know, what's Kentucky look like coming out of that Florida game? They've had more success against the Gators after going 30 plus years without beating them. Um, you know, what do they look like coming out of that Florida game? You know, week two. You know, if if they, if they get if they get if they get a big win there, I think that definitely catapults the confidence for Kentucky about what they can get done in the season. Whereas if they lose that game to Florida, it gives Florida momentum. Um, you know, where does that send Kentucky uh, reeling off to early in the football season? So, you know, when I look at both these teams, I, you know, just based off pure strength of schedule, you kind of give the edge to Kentucky with that, to have the chance to finish two. But when you look at the rosters, I think Tennessee's roster overall is better. And I think their scheme is better offensively. Uh, long-term and, and even for this season. Chad, let's just pick up on that storyline. So he's saying if Kentucky beats Florida, what it means for Kentucky. Think about it, what it would mean for Tennessee because they have Florida coming up on the schedule at the end of September uh, and a potentially a one-win Florida team at that point if Kentucky beats them. And you know that the race is on for the SEC East with the Gators coming to Knoxville knowing that you've got to get over that hump. Well, and I think that, I mean, Tennessee-Florida, it's not the end of the season – by any means, but it is the start of something huge that, like you mentioned, Austin, just from a confidence standpoint, to get over the hump, if they can beat Florida at home, and even with with a loss to Pitt, to be 1-0 in the SEC, with a win over the Gators, I think completely changes the mindset from everyone around that program, from coach, player, administration, to fan, that big things could happen in the SEC this season for Tennessee. Am I placing too big of an importance on that game, even though we're still three games away from that one? No, I mean, for me, like, I just don't, like, I think if, 
I think the 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 disappointment level will be really really out there, you know, if if they lose to Pitt. I, I think Tennessee fans know that they coughed that one up a year ago. Um, you know, the, I think they're expecting to go in there and, and win this game at Pittsburgh. If, if they were to lose that game, I think that that would that would hurt them going into that Florida game, and it would put put more emphasis on it. A game that again has been in Tennessee's head for. 20 plus years. I mean, Tennessee won in 2016. They won in 2004. You know, I mean, it's, it's been a while and they just have not won it a whole lot. And so, um, whereas if I think if they beat Pitt, they go into that Florida game riding high. If they win that game, then it does. It just, it's a huge igniter, um, for the rest of the season. And, and the best part of that is you get the bye week. You kind of get to like, okay, four games in, let's take a breath. Let's take a bye week and then get ready for LSU two weeks later. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, both games are big, but I think you've got to win that pit game to start with. And then all of a sudden, I think that's when the Florida game really kind of picks up, and ratchets up. Let's put it this way. Hutton. Being three and one going into that bye week oh. is, is is the Tennessee at worst needs to be three and one. Yes. Oh, that, that, that would be, that would be two, not an be... awful thing to be three and one with a no. win over Pitt or Florida there, but Two and two, that's not the spot you want to be in when you start looking down the road on the schedule. Austin? No, you're right. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say you're right. I mean, the hard part is is Tennessee fans know Florida's as gettable as they've ever been, but they've been gettable several times in the last decade. And, you know, Butch, Butch and the, his teams, you know, blew multiple opportunities to get, you know, he, he should have won three games against the Gators. He only won one. Um you know, and, and, and everybody knows that that pit game got away from them last year. So it, I, it, if you're a Tennessee fan, you'd love to be three and one. But like I would be, you know, I think that most Tennessee fans would still be disappointed if they're, they're they lose to Pitt or Florida. Austin Price. You can follow him on Twitter at Austin Price. Let's check out the great work at VolQuest.com. Austin, thank you, man. We'll be uh, previewing uh, this matchup with you early next week. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. There's Austin. And uh, check out the War Room. Check out the news on Brew McCoy and more at VolQuest. Coming up, a look at Saturday's slate from the preseason perspective. What's still up for grabs and what to expect from a quarterback starting role. Uh, We know Brady and Matt Ryan are starting as the Bucs take on the Colts. And we've told you about Pittsburgh. They're going with Trubisky again as the number one QB out with the first-team offense. We'll take a look around the league and what it could mean for other quarterbacks who get the opportunity to get some reps in. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Arizona Cardinals in Nashville tomorrow night for the final preseason game. Headed into the regular season. Um, of course, a, a number of other games, including Bucks, Colts. Both starters are going to play, Brady and Matt Ryan. And uh, we'll see Trubisky start for the, the Steelers before turning things over to Kenny Pickett. Uh, no word on what the Titans plan to do. I haven't seen anything yet, Paul, on the Cardinals either. Um, well, I think it's unlikely we see Tannehill, even though he one, mentioned he wants to play. I do, too. I think Mike 
Mike Vrabel doesn't like to tell the guys even, better yet, the, the media. So uh, odds of it coming out before tomorrow afternoon, very, very low. Jameis Winston also going to see some action tonight against the Chargers in preseason game number three for the Saints. Should mention uh, Matt Ariza, who's been accused uh, and alleged of to have committed a gang rape uh, at San Diego State um, with, a at the time, a 17-year-old alleged victim. Uh, the Bills are not going to use him tonight. The Bills in their preseason game, he will not punt. That coming from Adam Schefter. Hutton pointed out earlier, Brett Kern, Titans veteran punter from Buffalo. Uh, Titans have a choice to make by Tuesday between Brett Kern and Ryan Stonehouse. Ryan Stonehouse, big leg. So whoever loses the Titans punting competition, which will come out Tuesday, uh, the loser of that could be an alternate uh, in, in Buffalo. Uh, if if they make the move that the three of us I think agree they need need to make, and this guy, um, with the accusation against them, uh, probably needs to be away. I, I I personally think needs to be away from the league, uh, not just the Bills. I, I find it, man, it's just difficult to believe that they really did their homework on this. The Bills, I'm saying, before drafting, especially if they're going to sit him out. Well, his lawyer, the, the I don't lawyer think they for knew the... it before drafting him, and I think they knew it. Since I, I think they probably knew it before the media got a hold of it yeah. and looked into it after drafting him. Well, they said they did a thorough, not investigation, thorough uh, look into this, uh, the details. The attorney for the uh, alleged victim, Jane Doe, uh, says that they never contacted him. Um, so they're, again, I'm looking at that line where they're, based on the way they described that, uh, the whole uh, allegation, it's as though they... Not only have they been aware of it, they've been made aware of it, and they're letting the legal process work itself out. They're admitting that they knew about it before anyone else got a hold of it publicly um, and, and released these documents and these court filings, and that they did a thorough evaluation of the, of the situation. But they still aren't saying if that was before they yeah. took them or after they took them. I, I suspect it's after. The statement starts with, we were them. recently informed about the civil suit, and it's very serious. And we we did, did a thorough, thorough look into it. I I don't take recently as before the draft that they no, were made I don't aware either. of it. I take thorough as meaning thorough. Like we know what they mean by that, and the attorney is saying, "Well, you didn't yeah. even pick up the phone and contact." Yeah. So now the question is, does the public awareness of what went on yeah, then, change then their, their reaction right, to right. it or not? What they're admitting, and I suspect is, ultimately it will, because there'll be a huge outcry. Yeah. The huge outcry well, Chad, is underway, right? Even if they didn't know prior to the draft. They, I want to know if they knew about it when they cut the other guy that was in competition. That's with my them. that's my point. Like it's it's a very it it the, the statement makes no sense to me. We can put the statement back on the screen, by the way, also, so we can read it because there's two contradictory things here. There is a we were recently informed of this civil suit, and what Hutton is is saying that he keeps here it is. We were recently made aware of a, of the civil complaint involving Matt from October 2021. We were recently made aware. This could have been. 12 hours before, could have been 12 months before. Uh, don't know what their definition of recently is. The next is. sentence, though, tells me Due it was Due to the serious nature before. of the complaint, we conducted a thorough examination of this matter, which would lead you to believe that thorough is they've looked into it for a number of days. Once they were made aware. Once they were made aware of it. As this is an ongoing uh, civil case, we have no, no other comment at this point. These are, in some ways, vague terms because we don't know the timing. Yeah, it's not like they're coming out and saying we were made aware of this on April 14th, or we were made aware of this 
a month ago. It's saying recently. We were recently made aware of the civil complaint, which if they did a thorough examination of the matter and he was still on the team after recently being made aware, then you're only not letting him participate now because it's public. Yeah, and conducted is in the past tense here. So their examination of the matter is over. Now, I, I think we all agree, it, public reaction is going to determine whether they do something or not. They appear to have been content to have kept him, uh, knowing what they knew. I just don't, I, I don't believe Which them. is upsetting. I, I, I don't believe them. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know how, what is their definition of thorough if they were made aware of a civil suit? Did they look at the civil suit? Do they read it over? I don't think they've think, thought this through. Yeah, had legal people if they at. knew about this before cutting the other punter, this makes no sense. Because now he's not going to participate. So did you find out so after cutting him, I... before cutting him? Did you find out before you drafted him? After you drafted him? I mean, these are all questions we need answered. And does this mean what, they're not punting What tonight? does thorough examination mean? Does it mean you hand it to your legal counsel a day ago and that person read it over and said, oh, this is really bad? Because they don't say they came to the conclusion he's innocent. Based on the thorough examination, it's like, hey, we vetted it and we believe our guy type situation. I, I'm hard-pressed to believe the guy's going to be a Buffalo Bill for too much longer. Yeah, maybe they don't even punt. They don't have another punter on their roster. A uh, kicker could They have punt. Tyler Bass, but I don't know why that's you good, would do anything like a, that. That's the, an interesting point. I didn't even think about the repercussions of a preseason game and not having a punter on the roster and what they're going to do. Yeah, they'll just go for it on fourth down all the time. They, they don't punt often anyway if Josh Allen's in there. Um, which you wouldn't presume he's he would there. be tonight. He is in Carolina with the team. He's not dressing. He's not holding. When, it, when Schefter says he's not punting, that, that means he's not active. He will not be holding on extra points. I would expect he's not on the sideline Or field either. goal attempts. So if that's the case, they're, they're either actively making a deal for a, another guy or they're about to hold a, a massive tryout early next week. Yeah, I would think, uh, you know, but we talked about the two guys here. But punters are coming free on, on Tuesday. At, at least a handful of teams have two punters right now. And it's it, going to be interesting to see how, how this is handled you know, with them. If that thorough examination leads to them coming back and saying, we're still going to go forward with this guy, or there's news the other way coming soon. Well, I mean, it's, it's hard not to compare it to Deshaun Watson. Uh, different circumstances with the number of victims and how long the NFL took to actually rule on anything where he could have played last year and had he wanted to play for the Texans, David Coley said that they would have they played him. Um, much worse crime. Well, yeah, much, so, much more serious allegation so, being made in this one instance. But the Browns played Deshaun Watson in the preseason knowing that he was going to be suspended for the first six games. They started him. Uh, the optics of that versus this lead me to believe the Bills are moving on. Yeah, and there's no suspension pending here based on how the personal conduct policy works. We mentioned earlier this crime um, that he's alleged of committing happened before he was drafted into the league. Personal conduct policy does not cover something like that, that based on the timing which is another awkward element of this whole terrible thing. We'll see uh, more rookies on display with Ritter for Atlanta, who's played well. Mariota's played well, too, in the preseason. Uh, just to throw that out there, I don't think there's a, a huge decision there that Ritter's been so good. Same as Malik Willis. Malik Willis has played well, so has Trubisky. Um, there's not a backup quarterback uh, job uh, battle here in Nashville. It's, it's Malik Willis. If I'm the Titans, I play him the entire game tomorrow. 
I don't know if they'll do that or not. I would start him and let him play all four quarters because if it's about reps and getting him looks and experience, that's what this is about. You, you have enough on Woodside where you can treat him like he, do, he doesn't need the reps. If he's so great behind the playbook and, and understanding concepts, you don't need to give him reps in a preseason where he hasn't played that well. I disagree with your assessment that he's played well. I think he's been he's made a Willis? hand. Yeah, he's play, he's made a handful he's, of plays. He, he has he's, improved weekly. He is far better than Woodside right now yeah, for but the long term. That doesn't mean he's played well. It means he's there's played, not a battle, Paul. And I would play you the said guy. He's I don't played keep. well. He's not played well. I'm he's going to badly. keep him on a roster. I'm going to play him. Uh, he has played better than Woodside in the preseason. Well, and that's, that's different. A fact. That's different than played well. He's not played well. He's, he's well. Completion percentage is terrible. Well, that he's being said, I wouldn't terrible. play any quarterback tomorrow except for him. I, I'd be fine with that, and I think uh, you know, likely he's he's the number two moving forward, and they're screwed just like they were if Logan Woodside had to play, if Malik Willis has to play during the regular season. Well, I would also, yeah, but I mean, they also drafted Malik Willis in the. Th- I, I don't. Logan Woodside's got to go. I mean, you drafted Logan Woodside. I mean, sorry, you drafted Malik Willis to be the backup quarterback and eventually have a shot at being the starter. I, I I don't understand where there's a decision to be made. This is pretty obvious and easy. And I'm with you, Paul. I don't think he's played well. He's played slightly better than Logan Woodside. And Logan Woodside's big selling point is man, he's going to, you know, if he gets in there in a game, he's the type of guy who's going to know the playbook and not make the mistakes to beat you. And what I've seen in preseason games so far is Logan Woodside throwing it to the opposition. And Malik Willis hasn't done that. Well, well I, I mean, Malik Willis it. may be more equipped to not thrown. make the big mistake. Yeah, and throwing it. Um, I, I, but look, if the name Logan of the game Woodside, is just don't turn hey, it over. Yeah, but Paul, here's my point. A quarterback who hasn't thrown it has outperformed the guy who does. Yeah. Game over. We have The Titans should have their backup decision. If they keep one, it's him. And if they're trying out other quarterbacks like Kirk Benkert, uh, to me, that's because they're considering a long-term solution if something happens with Tannehill. That's you think not a, there's that's a chance a good... that Woodside's the guy, Paul? I, I, I wouldn't think that they're keeping three. Uh, I do think there's a chance that Woodside's on, on the practice squad. Um, I think there's a chance they keep three for the 53 at the beginning and then try to make the move later. Um, but I, I can't say for sure. I, I, I don't think that they're scoring Woodside based on uh, fourth quarter with the third string offensive line that hasn't protected a- anybody. You know what I wish they would do Well, that's do how then? we've scored in the last three years. I, I, I wish they would just keep Willis in the games. That's if how that's he's the been case. judged like, every preseason. I, I, I want to see more of him. He hasn't played. Uh, he's played more with the twos um, and and higher in the rotation. Like Willis is is playing now, so he's been scored. Like Willis is being scored now, and he's had better preseason numbers in those. Well, Barkley years got the start last protection. year in the final game. And he still beat him out with the backups. And also, and that was a game where they they started Lawan on the offensive didn't line. Didn't Logan Woodside throw an interception trying to throw it to first round pick Traylon Burks on one of the plays he threw an interception on that he underthrew? Yeah, when he got hit. Yeah, as he let it go. Oh, while well, we're talking offensive line, Dylan Raiden should play exclusively at guard, and if he doesn't hold up, he deserves to be cut. I, I, the, That's the how thing I would about treat him. the thing about cutting uh, Raidens is their depth on the offensive line stinks. He's if, part of the problem. If they had any not quality, the solution. yeah. But if they had any quality behind him, that'd be one thing. They have zero. I mean, he's bad, but so are the guys behind. They're him. They're so bad at tackle that they've moved him to guard, how, even how, though he's a solution as a backup tackle. How difficult he's would it be to find a swing backup offensive lineman that's a veteran? They need a couple, I think. 
I, I would hope Again, that they, I, I they'd be adding somebody the, out of cuts. This at, is one where on like a, what, Jamarco Jones type, you know, or someone like that that's been around a little bit that could play guard and tackle in a pinch. Yeah, Jamarco Jones has been hurt and hasn't been able to account yeah. for himself. But which I mean, has uh, killed them. Are those guys out there? I guess is my question, right? I, I don't. Yeah. I don't David know Quisenberry's the market. Available. Yeah, is David Quesenberry better than? Dylan Raiden. Uh, did you see who started last year? Yes, that's that's fair. Yes, he's better than Dylan Raiden's. Um, it's crazy that Robinson in back-to-back years, as good as he's been at so many positions, and as honestly as as well as he did with the Jack Conklin pick at right tackle, could whiff that badly. I think they need a, an outside, but for two different reasons, swing guy who's cut by another team yes. and it's not the, connected to the Houston Texans. Yes. It's the same position, but they swung and missed for two different, very different reasons, right? It yeah. wasn't like a consistent theme. It was yeah. Isaiah Wilson is a train wreck personally and could not be a professional. And then Dylan Raiden's just seemingly can't play the position at, the, at this level. Well, that's massive draft capital, too. A first rounder, a second rounder. Then look at the backups. And a third rounder. Kendall, Kendall Lamb. Um, you know, Ty Sambrello was fine for a while, and then uh, as a swing guy, then then quit uh, midseason last year. I mean, they've made bad judgments across well, the board since Jack Con- Conklin. Petit Frere may end up being the solution in the end, but I look at it as three picks because the first two didn't work out. So right, then the, yeah. the, the, right. the opportunity cost of that third-round pick that you had to use on a right tackle – that may be the only one that ends up a functional player on your roster. And I think he'll that be, you could put out there on Sundays. I think he'll be better than Quesenberry was last year. They're going to still need to help him in pass pro, and he'll be fine run blocking, as Quesenberry was often. Um, but, uh, you know, and then you're hoping that Aaron Brewer holds up. I think Aaron Brewer can play. Can Aaron Brewer withstand 18 weeks as a smaller guy, you know, significantly smaller than Roger Saffold playing next to Taylor Lewan? I think there, there, there could be an issue there. Um, so offensive line is, is a question. And then I, I did a receiver update yesterday uh, uh, just on Twitter, Hutton, that people just panicked about. It was really like where the receivers are today. And I, I said, panic. I said, um, you know, NWI, Nick Westbrook-Akina, A, Nick Westbrook-Akina, it's been changed to, consistent. Kyle Phillips, uh, still pretty good, but has dropped off a little bit. Yeah, he struggled this week. Um, uh, uh, Racy McMath has fallen off dramatically. Robert Woods could not get open yesterday. It's the most team stuff that he did. Got no separation. Uh, and who did I leave out of the top five there? Traylon Burks. Uh, Traylon Burks dropped out on Wednesday and hasn't been seen since. But everybody took this as like a written in stone. This is what they are permanently and uh, you know, started tearing their hair out. But the receivers have dipped uh, as, a, as a group, um, you know, uh, in the last week. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, largely you could say the doubts that you had at the start of training camp exist. Paul, get ready for your, your Twitter account to be inundated with A.J. Brown mentions the moment the receivers don't perform at a high level. I mean the for, I mean I'm right out of the gates. First quarter against the Giants. Lack explosion. It's gonna it's gonna happen. And it, it is fair. But it's I'm saying it's gonna happen really early this season. The first time we see a drop, well, the be, first time we see <laughs> Tannehill yeah, and the receivers not on it. the same page, it's it's gonna happen. Especially if he's scoring two touchdowns on opening day for Philadelphia. 
UNC and Florida A&M. Florida A&M can't fill the roster. Yeah, how about that? So The game's I, in doubt? Yeah, they're playing tomorrow, but uh, as of when we started the show, Florida A&M had yet to even board a flight to get to, uh, to, get to Carolina. Now, see, that's where Week Zero is a fitting name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chad, you didn't mention this matchup. No, my bad. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. He'll watch it. Hey, there is a – we got to – I, I want to read this when we come back. Okay. But have you guys seen the former Duke athletic director and Danny White's dad, Kevin, in his comments about Alan Green and Auburn? No. no. Real, we'll read this when I we mean, come back. I mean, I thought it was an, an article from The Onion, his comments. Like, he issued an official release about what Auburn has done to Alan Green – Wow. To Pete Thamel, and it's unbelievable. All right, we got that next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, Chad, give us the quote. We've been waiting through the break. So Kevin White, former Duke AD, when he found out about Alan Green being forced out at Auburn, had this to say to Pete Thamel, and I quote, For what it's worth, the announcement via Auburn University today is terribly disturbing to say the very least. Perhaps closer to utterly shameful, exclamation point. The apparent political dysfunction within Auburn is truly legendary. More specifically, this particular leadership transition unequivocally ascends Auburn to the catbird seat in terms of being tone deaf nationally. Of course, Alan and Christy Green and their beautiful family will undoubtedly take the high road. For Alan is among the classiest and most talented individuals in terms of emotional, intellectual, and decency competence who drips with integrity while standing on a non-negotiable, high moral, and ethical everyday platform. Allen is clearly a rock star leader within the broader college athletics landscape. Therefore, this is clearly a death blow moment for Auburn as the greater enterprise of college athletics swirls via unprecedented chaos, exclamation point, end of quote, from Kevin White. Uh, Tell us how you really feel. They're tight. Someone I saw someone retweet and said, this is where someone should respond and say, you gave Charlie Weiss a 10-year contract at Notre Dame <laughs> when he was there to Kevin White in response to this. This is the uh, beginning of the even – if, even if Brian Harson, who was hired by Green, has an outstanding season at Auburn, he wants to leave. Like, this is the beginning of more change. Yeah, this is, this is step one. Regardless, he's either getting fired or he's doing well and leaving on his own accord for, a, for another job. But that is quite a defense. Good yes. news for the Ravens. Uh, uh, Ronnie Stanley has uh, been uh, cleared. He's passed his physical. He's off PUP. So that's good news for the Baltimore offensive line. Uh, we uh, wish the very best to Jakob Swanson. Jacob Swanson today, his final day uh, with OutKick and the network. We don't uh, a job applaud well the final day. We has, applaud, uh, Jacob always wears Jacob. a hat. He I has, don't wear hats, but if I had one, I'd take my hat off to Jacob right now, the yeah, job that he, he did. He has uh, been with us since day one, uh, which was March 15th of 2021. And uh, maybe it was a couple days after that when we met him. Uh, certainly, uh, he was working with Lance. He was our lead guy. And uh, Jacob's been awesome. 
Um, you know, it was, I would say the opposites attract. That was certainly the case with uh, this show and Jacob. He is uh, one of a kind, and for that, uh, we love the guy. J- Jacob and I connected over uh, when I told him that I don't like horror movies and I, won't, I don't like to watch them, yeah. but I'll read the Wikipedia description of them. There was a time, and it's happened actually this week, in fact, where Jacob would just come in and give me this crazy movie. <laughs> and I would then go to Wikipedia, and I'd read it, the plot lines, for the entire studio. And Jacob and I connected over that. Uh, we wish him the very best. He did a terrific job with us. Uh, it's tough seeing one of our, our day one producers that's been with us from the beginning of our journey here without kick move on but we we wish him well he's worn t-shirts from the beginning that have provided uh incredible show content incredible uh conversation between segments pre-show uh introduced <laughs> us to music that we never uh that scares me to death to this day uh, and he and i have had many heart to hearts uh which i will miss we will uh certainly gather for beers to have those uh, in the future, Jacob. Good luck if, with your new endeavor. If Jacob ever decides to leave town, which I hope he's – please, Jacob, don't be a stranger to the studio. But if he ever leaves town, going away party at Cobra. Yes. we got to go to Cobra, the famous stopping point Cobra. Of, of Jacob Swanson. We must make it there for the going away party. Yes. We'll miss you, pal. Jacob Swanson, job well done, brother. Good job, buddy. Uh, Great week. Enjoy the college football weekend and the fact that after tomorrow and Sunday, we get to turn the page on the preseason and head towards the regular season of the NFL. We'll recap what's going to be a busy weekend on Monday, starting at 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern, right here on Outkick 360. You know what Jacob doesn't do? He doesn't block the box, and he always locks the locks.